walk through the garden You better watch your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the street in Hey everybody, it's time for another commission podcast for the Bald Move Network. I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. And uh, today we'll be tackling, this is a tough one to describe. It's, it's going to take several minutes for me to describe what you're about to hear. Uh, Andrew Standard, uh, uh, which again, thank you very much for commissioning this podcast, approached us and he said he wanted us to do uh, the first two episodes of The Wire, I think is his first request. And I was like, whoa, 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 hey, wait. Really appreciate it. Is there anything else you'd be interested in? Because I'm going to do like a deluxe Criterion Sapphire Blu-ray edition of the Wire podcast. I just it's it's taken a long time. At some point, yeah. At some point, and I'll, I'll describe here in a minute why it's ta- it's taking a long time. And Andrew's like, nope, really, just want you to do the Wire. And I'm like, I just I just I can't put like a half-ass product on, on on the Wire. I don't want to do like the first two episodes and then have to redo them into the deluxe format that I want. Is, is is there anything there? And Andrew's like, no, fuck you, man. I I put down my two and a half bones, and I want you to do the fucking wire. So I'm like, all right. What if we, we went back and forth a couple of times, and we came up with this format, like, we'll do a showcase on the top two episodes of Omar Little. And he's like, can you do that for me? Omar, of course, being arguably the most popular character in The Wire. I think so. We're going to be talking about him a bunch. So I'm like... Awesome. Let's do that. So I started going through the catalog and picking out the best Omar episodes, and I've rapidly realized, holy shit, if I do this, they will be massive. Like some of the most massive spoilers, uh, biggest plot points in, in, in the whole series of The Wire if I do like any of his top three to five moments. Okay. So then I, I, I sold Andrew uh, on the concept of doing – a two episode uh, combo, one uh, season uh, season two episode six entitled All Prologue, and season three episode six entitled Homecoming. That these would be some signature Omar moments, but some uh, I, I feel like the one in uh, All Prologue is probably in the top five, certainly top ten. Uh, but another quieter moment. You got one that's Omar like on top, Omar tri- triumphant, and another. A, a chastened, humble, uh, guilty, less triumphant Omar, and how they revealed different aspects of his uh, uh, personality. And then I'd talk, I'd kind of make a sales pitch for The Wire and also talk about Omar Little, why he's important in Wire mythology and why he's important in pop culture uh, mm. together. So, again, Andrew, I hope we do this subject justice. And uh, for everybody else, prepare for me to just completely geek out on The Wire for a little bit. <laughs> and prepare for me to be along for the ride. I, I'm a fan of The Wire, but I realized ha- going back to these after not having seen The Wire for years that it's so dense and there are so many characters and so sure. many plots going on at the same time that I did not remember the vast majority of them in in, in very good detail. So I, I've i seen The Wire more than you, and I'm a bigger fan. I'll say that is is this a non-controversial statement? It's both in our consensus top three. I think that's fairly non-controversial. Yeah. Uh, I, I currently have it as my absolute favorite television show. Uh, it's really being threatened by Breaking Bad. And mm-hmm. it's I, I, I'm going to have to reserve. The, I, I want to kind of get done with our Breaking Bad rewatches. And also get my wire definitive podcast out before I make the ultimate call because, <laughs> you know, the wire is by far more important and more informative and has the power to actually persuade and peel back layers of what's wrong with America and the decay and corruption, especially in some of yeah. the urban areas that are. Um, just massive problem, massive quality of life problem, massive amounts of money and lives, uh, and energy being expended in just with with no return. Breaking Bad has a little bit of social conscious, 
Not much. Not a lot, but it's also relentlessly entertaining. Yeah. It is uh it, it just it just really wants you to like it. It really wants you to love it. And it makes sure that it doesn't make you go too far without something just punching you in the face of how awesome it is. Mm-hmm. The wire doesn't give a shit. Nope. The wire's like, hey, you 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 don't want to put on your thinking cap and follow these plots uh, and and spend the first five or six episodes wondering what the fuck is going on. I I, I really don't care. Mm-hmm. And and all oh, by the way, season two, I'm gonna flip the table, introduce an entirely <laughs> new setting and cast of characters for you to fucking uh, resolve. Mm-hmm. And season three, I'm gonna wad that up, throw it away. Uh, expand the scope into another segment, and it keeps doing that every single season. You cannot ever get comfortable. Yeah. However, it is one of the most rewarding shows on television to watch because I, I you know, we talk about Gardner and Architect, mm-hmm. and I feel like it. Simon is definitely an architect because a lot of this stuff he's writing from real life. He was a reporter in Baltimore. He wrote this in conjunction with a police officer and other policemen from Baltimore. And in fact, season one is entirely based on a real life investigation that went down in the late seventies, early eighties. A lot of these characters are based on real life and, and they are just barely fictionalized accounts. So, is he a gardener? Is he an architect? I'd argue that he's an architect following the blueprint of real life. Yeah. And he's able to do things like stuff in season one that is involving very minor characters that you only notice for an episode or two bear fruit in big ways in seasons four and five. Mm-hmm. And the things you learn about in season one feed into the things that happen in season two that then become relevant in season four. I I can't. You know, we talk about Breaking Bad doing the strip mining of the past approach where yeah. they take they you know, they're 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 aware of their own press, they're aware of their own lore. Um and but but nobody does that kind of stuff, that depth, that foreshadowing, that setting things, the checkoffs gun type of stuff that doesn't go off for seasons. Nobody does that like David Simon in the wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can get behind that for sure. So why are, why why do we love the wire so much? I really love the realism with which it portrays its characters. It is not uh it, it is not a story about characters that you feel are characters. It's about characters who you feel are people and are in a real life situation. Yes. You know, when you if you want to continue the comparison with Breaking Bad, yes people do get cancer. Yes mm-hmm. people do cook meth, but those circumstances together all feel very fantastic. Yes. Um Nothing in the wire feels fantastic. It all feels like things that definitely play out in everyday life. Sure. Uh, not my everyday life, certainly. I'm mm-hmm. not a cop. I'm not a drug dealer. Uh, I don't live anywhere near where that shit happens, but I know it does happen. We don't live in a city where 300 people, thereabouts, are killed on a yearly basis. God, no. No. Uh, so I really appreciate just the matter-of-fact, no-nonsense way it approaches the harsh realities of some of our... Uh, darker areas of the country. And it also, going to your kind of like realistic, it does feel like a realistic ecosystem because out of the dozens and dozens, I mean, only Game of Thrones rivals this for a size of cast. Sure, yeah. They all are really well-developed three-dimensional characters. And it doesn't... It doesn't really take much time up front developing those characters. It just throws you into their lives. Right. Like... Here's what is happening this day, which happens to be the first episode. Right. And boom, get used to this. Right. And and you it it is master of the show don't tell. Like you're yeah. mad and like, why? What is the connection between <laughs> two characters? I, I totally forget watching. this guy's name, but I know yeah. I'm gonna get it eventually. What's their relationship? Why are they angry at each other? You don't know because you're just kind of thrown into the middle of it. And it's also yeah. simulates the ple- the um the core problem of the cops. Uh-huh. that they don't know what's going on the street. Sure. Yeah. They're investigating and trying to figure it out, and we as the viewer and the viewer is, are kind of thrown in that same position. We're kind of investigating the show. What the hell is yeah. going on? and I think that's another reason why it's so rewarding. When you figure something out on your own, right. it, it releases the, the chemicals in your brain that tells you, hey, good job. Yep. I'm proud of that. Yep. You don't get that with other shows, which will just kind of walk you down the primrose path. This one, like I said, throws you in, and when you figure it out, you're like, aha, I've got it, and now everything else is building on that, and you feel more of a reward from things that happen later on. 
And also, we talked before in like uh, something that George Martin does really well is the like the three step reveal where he puts a hint that if you're really smart and really clever mm, and yeah. you're lucky and you make all the connections, you're going to be like the early adopter of a particular theory or a plot point. And then the second one is for like aimed at the above average to sharp, but also just attend to viewers so they can get in on the feeling of that good aha feeling. Um, and then the third is like, okay, it kind of smacks you in the face. This is how the f- pieces fit together. So yeah. then the first two people yeah. feel, oh, yes, I'm so smart. <laughs> and the, the other people that are left behind catch up. Yeah, they're like, oh, I get it. The wire frequently doesn't bother with the third step. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Shit you're right. comes together and gets resolved. <laughs> and if you haven't been paying attention, if you've been like maybe browsing the web or playing on your cell phone, you'll be like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, you can't do that during this show. No, you will quickly, you will, you probably won't ever enjoy it. You'll never figure sure. out what's going on and you'll be frustrated. Even stuff like I just caught up on four seasons of Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. Even during that, I was able to like, you know, play some Bejeweled on my phone every once sure. in a while or surf the web. And you get the story. You, you get it. It's not as uh tough to grasp as this one is well a traditional show like boardwalk empire will have and maybe it's a bad example because it has more but a traditional show like breaking bad has two or three major plot points running through it yes threads Mm -hmm. you know there's these group of characters and this doing this there's these group of characters and sometimes you'll have a c a really ambitious d Break, the Wire has seven or eight. <laughs> it's got the full alphabet. And it's plots. just like a 30-second scene here. And a thirty, and it feels like it's more of a mess or disjointed, but it really flows mm. together and braids like a, a, a rope. Um, in fact, that's one of the things I'm going to highlight. I've got like three or four of the most important things of the episode, and then I got a okay. list of things that didn't make the cut. And it's always like seven or eight other things going on that yeah. will eventually emerge to be important later on or tell you something important about a character you need to know. Sure. And again, yeah, I we'll... don't I'm not aware of anything else that's this kind of great American novel like on television. I agree. Um What are some other I, things? I feel like Game of Thrones approaches that just with the size of its cast. Certainly. It gets there at at, at certain times. Um another thing that kind of goes along with, you know, the realism is just the way that they depict the gay and lesbian characters in this show yeah, is so matter of fact, I don't know that I, this might be the first show I've ever seen that doesn't treat a gay and lesbian character like they're gay and lesbian. Sure. It's just that they're characters. Right. And that's something that shocked me the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, wow, this show is different because of that. In fact, there's like a a perfect example. There's this one kind of tough as nuts, hard-boiled character who's a major asshole, and I think in season three as a... Maybe it's season two. No, I think it's season three. Um, As just an aside, you see him in a completely unrelated scene in the background at a gay bar. Mm -hmm. So you now know he's gay, but that's just part of the texture of the show. There's nothing ever that comes like no one ever... Yeah. Because in most shows, you're like, oh, that's going to be blackmail material. That's going to come... No. Exactly. It's just a part of his facet. He's deeply closeted because he's a high-ranking police policeman and they're totally not exactly down with that that's another interesting thing is it also kind of realistically to play this displays or portrays the plight of gay and lesbian characters if you are um a gay character on the street what that means and what people associate that if you are a lesbian character in a police force what kind of bullshit you have to put up with from sure your fellow your your brothers in blue the shield did this fairly well also yeah i never made it past and not because it wasn't good it's because um i was in the middle of watching season two when we started doing this podcasting and i feel like i (laughs) very rarely have time to watch non-professional television anymore they didn't do it quite as well they made a bigger deal about it but Mm -hmm. but yeah this this show man it handles it so well anything else you got or should i start taking over uh i I mean the, the acting is phenomenal as we know um it indeed and that's it's one of those shows where the acting's so good that you a lot of times forget that you know like when Brian Cranston is just really tearing into a scene you're like my god look at the acting <laughs> yeah yeah you yeah. know almost to like a team america world police level <laughs> like it's just a conspicuous yeah. showy level of, of and you're just amazed yep. why is just you'll be just in ra- in a scene, and then afterwards, you're like, holy shit, what did I just watch? That was really amazing. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't, you know, 
I think it's very underrated how hard it is to play a character that's like born on the streets, but also show that he's a very smart individual. Sure. Like he's talking like a fucking idiot, um, but but show like the complexity and deepness of a friendship between two characters like that. Hmm. Okay. You know, like if you see a character, you know, two characters are like brothers on Downton Abbey or Breaking Bad or Justified. They speak in a language of this, you know, whatever, and you kind of understand it. I, as a, uh, uh, I'm so white. I have Wonder Bread on my side. <laughs> I don't get that a lot, and I feel like it's that's a that's a hard thing to make me understand these relationships through that filter. Okay. Yeah. No. I think The Wire does a great job at making uh, people who are not familiar with these circumstances uh, on both sides of the fence understand what those people go through. Right. I also think that one of the great hallmarks of The Wire is how funny it is. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. not funny in the way that, yeah, not like funny in the way that Walt and Jesse, uh, you know, wrestling around on the ground or helicopter bitch is funny, but just like quiet yeah. moments. Like for example, in uh, season two, episode six, all prologue, there's this running gag in the background. We've got Lester, who's this very thin, um, almost regal cop. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's just like really brilliant investigator, very patient, very intelligent, but also really able to just take people down a peg without much trying. Yeah, and you got Bunk, who's this chubby, <laughs> slovenly, hot-headed, foul mouth. Yeah, r- also a very good investigator, but mm-hmm. he's not as bookish and nerdy and willing to put your nose to grindstone and connect all the dots. And he's in the background bouncing a ball. Mm-hmm. While Lester's trying to run through wiretaps and shit, doing his tedious stuff. And Le- you didn't see, like, the slow burn of Lester's face. They don't make a big deal out of it. <laughs> yeah. Later in the episode, in the background, you see Bunk is finally trying to do some paperwork. And Lester is, like, bouncing the ball, but deliberately, like, getting it closer to him. And clo- so it's, yeah, like, bouncing yeah. off his head. It's all in the background. And it's <laughs> hilarious. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't even draw attention to itself. And that's not what that scene is about. And sure. this shit, like... Hearing a gangster complain about his idiot family members, mm-hmm. um, and some of the stuff that they talk about is and and the relationships between like Bunk and Nulty when they go out or McNulty when they go out and drink, yeah. And you know some of it is funny, funny sad. Some of it's funny bittersweet. Some of it just bust a gut laughing. Yep. But that's kind of <laughs> how the wire gets you. You know, gets it uh, gets you to put up with it. There's just enough. Yeah, yeah. You got to have some humor in there, otherwise, my God. Yeah, yeah. It would just be so dark. It'd be True Detective. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some reasons why? Because we so we've sung the praises of why this is one of the greatest television shows ever made. Mm-hmm. What are some of the reasons that The Wire is tough slogging? Because I don't. I would hate to recommend this to somebody without them knowing what they're they're getting into. And we've kind of a little bit set them straight on that. But what are some of the other? We've we've mentioned a couple of the reasons why it might also be difficult to get into. Um, one is the large cast of characters. Remembering everybody's name is tough. Remembering what they're up to at any given moment might be tough. Uh, and the fact that you're just thrown into the middle. You're yeah. thrown to the wolves. So figure it out. That was hard for me. I, I went through like half of the first season, said, good God, I don't understand any of this, and I shut it off. Yeah. And it took prompting. It often does for me with, with shows that are... Uh, not immediately entertaining, mm-hmm. just on the face of it. Right. Uh, this was one that hit me especially hard where I was like, nope, not for me, four uh-huh. episodes in, uh-huh. and then shut it off, came back to it a year later, and was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. I can get through this. Mm-hmm. I sat uh, down and watched The Wire the way a lot of people sit down and and like sit down to watch War and Peace, or to read War and Peace. Okay. Like, I know I have a mission. I'm going to eat my fucking vegetables. Okay. I was prepared yep. for it to be. And, but I, you know, and, and I think that if you're six episodes in and you're freaking out because you still don't know anyone's names and exactly what you're doing, that is okay. Don't worry about knowing people's names and what they're doing. If you get through the f- end of the first season and you still don't know what the hell's going on, you're either, wa- you're either, yeah. you're either watching it distracted or mm. you're, because I think also, you can't like watch an episode and three weeks later watch another episode. You no, it's no. really rewarding to binge, sure. but you have to watch it at least an episode a week to 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 get it going. I would say there are like five characters who 
whose names you actually need to know and whose plots you need to understand in season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple on the police side, a couple on the yeah. dealer side. So, yeah, just try to get those down. Right. Um, what are some other... I mean, one thing is also The Wire can be depressing. Oh, yeah. The Wire, at least once a season, by my reckoning, <laughs> has one of those th- you know, one of those episodes where the next, you're just kind of bummed out. Like, similar to if you're a big sports fan and mm-hmm. your team loses a playoff game, it's that kind of feeling. Like, it sticks with you that night. You go to bed, you wake up, and you're just still kind of like, oh, goddamn. Uh, it can fuck it can fuck your shit up. <laughs> this reference is lost on me. Yeah, I know you're not. You're a sports atheist, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't. I in fact, I can't even. I'm, I guess the <laughs> the feeling you had watching a Star Wars prequel. Okay, yes. So built up, like ex- and yeah, then like oh my god. But seventeen hours in line. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got shit on. Just crushing disappointment and loss. Yeah, <laughs> sure. No, that makes total sense to me. Uh, I try to think if there's anything else. Oh, another big one, especially for an audiovisual horror for, like me. Oh yeah, this show is standard def, um, uh, four three aspect ratio. I, I feel like bunk after a night drinking, <laughs> where I'm just like hung over a trash can looking at this thing. Oh, it's terrible. I'm and I'm I there's nothing there. So they did this. High def was starting to become available. Mm-hmm. Um. And they had the capability starting in season three to just do it in high def, but they yeah. made a conscious creative decision to keep it framed four three and in standard def because they liked it create creatively for it to look like um, closed caption television footage, which sometimes the show actually does, like you know the point of view of a bank ATM or the point of view sure. of a corner camera or other surveillance footage to kind of put you in. You know, because the show's called The Wire. It's all about various wire tappings and electronics eavesdropping, and that's all part of the, the theme, thematic. And and at the time, David Simon felt like that felt more like documentary and more like closed caption television and less cinematic like the movie. And he's been okay. historically against attempts to uh, upscale and upsample because it was filmed uh, in a format that you could easily remaster in high def. Sure. Uh, point of fact, HBO announced just last week <laughs> that they are indeed going to remaster The Wire and re-air it. Um, I I know they're re-airing it right now in September. Yeah. I don't know when the high-def formats are going to come out. It needs it, man. Watching those two episodes, they look bad. No, it's – I'm not – I mean, it, there's no ins, ands, or buffs about it. Now, if you get the DVDs um, and you got a TV that does a decent job upsampling, it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. But you're still going to have giant black bars on both sides of your widescreen television, and it's yeah, that's that's a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of people that said, "Look, I just can't get into it on that standpoint." I feel the same way because I know a lot of people say House of Cards, British version, even better than the American version. I can't make it past the VHS looking <laughs> quality that you get off Netflix on that yep. thing, and just how fucking '80s British it is. So that's that's a legitimate thing. Like that's an accessibility yes, point. Definitely. And you you mentioned like how it looks 80s British. I feel like this looks very dated. Uh, just even from like I didn't talk about some of the camera angles, but a lot of it feels just like it's fucking TV, man. And it's and it's not experimental interesting TV. It's just fucking TV. Like yeah. over the shoulder cutting back and forth camera, through an camera entire 4 or 5 minute conversation. Just give us A and B, and like, boom. Like, at the end of an episode, if you get a crane shot where, where, it rota- where it lifts up 10 feet above yeah. a street, you're, you're, you're lucky. And There's... having watched stuff like Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad now, yeah. I don't ever want to go back to that yeah. style of television. No, sure, sure. I think television is too important and too interesting now. Right. Uh, so that feels a little dated, yeah. a little hard to get into. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to think of it. I, I mean, like I said, I don't I, want to really bury the wire because I do legitimately feel it's it's one all-time greatest television. No doubt. No doubt. And it's rewarding for those that can get past these features. And then again, I think when they remaster it in HD, it's going to – oh, my God, I can't wait. It's going yeah. to be so fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, in particular, Omar because that's the whole focus of this podcast. Okay. Why is Omar important to the wire and – and into the larger pop culture milieu. <laughs> well, it goes back to what I said earlier about you know this show treating uh, gay characters with 
kind of the dignity that they deserve, not as a stereotype, uh, not as something to be laughed at, but just something that exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's Omar. Like he was the first. Aside from him being a badass, he was just treated like a character, not like sure. a gay character. And it's not like they soft because a lot of times you'll hear. Uh, I've I've been aware of like gay characters that are kind of like. They might be gay. They might not. I'm thinking of like Tom Hardy's character okay. in like um, uh, Inception. Yeah, where it's kind of implied that he's gay, but n- mm-hmm. n- never ever comes. Omar's gay. Like no he doubt. open mouth kisses dudes. He lays around with dudes naked on his bed watching television. Yep. He's very almost you know um, their relationship is like behind the scenes tender, sure loving. Yeah. Uh, but also, but he's a hard he, ass as he, well. Man. He is like there is yeah he is a stone cold motherfucker too. And I feel like it's yep. it's fun because I I was reading an interview with Jason Whitlock or maybe it was on a podcast where he's talking about it, and he credited this character of Omar Litter because so Jason Whitlock if you don't know he's a professional sports writer used to write for my hometown Indianapolis Star uh, went to Ben Davis High School played for um, Ball State Cardinals. Uh, as an offensive lineman, and in that culture, as an uh, and an African American, as an African American man, in that heavily masculine sports culture, he uh, identified himself as uh, um, homophobic. Huh. Okay. He got in Watson Wire because the wire hits home for him because a lot of his uh, family um, has got caught up in the the drug war. One of his, I, I think, it was hmm. his nephews, was murdered in Indianapolis. Uh, he's had other family in jail. He's very passionate about it. Started watching why I really spoke to him. Yeah. And the character of Omar Little started opening his mind that gay people are just people. Yeah. And they yeah. are not, they don't have to be um, flamboyant and, and effeminate, and though it's fine if they are. But sure, they but can, they're not something to fear. They right? have people like, that can be angry. They can be powerful. They can, um, you know, have strong agency over their lives and what goes around. And they're no less. There's, it's nothing. You know, being queer is not a slur. It's nothing. To, I mean, you, what can you say about Omar? You can't say anything about again. He's a drug dealer. He's not a drug dealer. He's a. He's a, he's a, he's a guy who robs drug dealers. He's a guy who robs. <laughs> he's drug a murderer. Dealer. He's um, a. You can say a lot of bad shit about him, but being sure. gay is not one. No, that is not a slur for him. It's yeah. just part of who he is, and that's why it's certainly, pop, pop, I think, important for pop culture. He's also arguably the most popular and coolest character on a show that's just chocked fucking full of very cool, very popular characters. He's part of True. the spice. There's not a lot of really awesome action or just, like, you know, badass moments necessarily on The Wire, but nine times out of ten, he's involved in it when there are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean this dude is he 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 runs around these neighborhoods in a trench coat, strapped with body armor, with a shotgun. He whistles a hunting we will go or <laughs> uh, hi ho the Dario, you know the the farmer in the Dell. Uh-huh. That's his signature. Like you start hearing like in, you know you start hearing that whistle and the fucking streets empty. Like the kids go <laughs> running, the people shut their doors. So badass, yeah. And he just and. And he's not like a badass, like a gun kata kind of, you know, John Woo type character, although he's obviously skilled in that area. It's like he meticulously – he's kind of like the the street-level version of the cops. He does surveillance on the guys. He learns their patterns. He lays these elaborate traps, and he plays psychological mind games to do what he does with the minimum must fuss and blood. Sure. Um, he's got a signature facial scar. Uh, because of uh, is that the actor's real scar? Because he's is. got that in Boardwalk. I did not realize that until I re-watched uh, these Wire episodes. I was like, you know, he's got that in both series. That must be real. Yeah, I, I did some research on that. He uh, grew up in Brooklyn, New York City, and when he's twenty-five, he got in a bar fight where someone slashed him with a razor blade. Ah, oh, shit. Um, so that is again, it's like something that they got for free by having that actor, and he's a wonderful actor. Yeah. I mean, he's been in a lot yeah. of shit. Uh, you know him as Chalky White on Boardwalk too, but it certainly adds a little more pizzazz. He's just visually striking. He's like yeah. uh, one of the like like Nubian black dudes, bright white teeth, and just this jagged, vicious scar running from the top of his head down it's to pretty like. Vicious. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a whole face type of deal. Uh-huh. Um, he's got this code of honor. Mm-hmm. Number one, he doesn't swear, 
which is not only is being a homosexual set him apart from the streets, but every, yeah. I mean, this, this show is so full of fuck and other profanity that mm-hmm. he stands out because of that. And also, he never targets uh, what he calls citizens or taxpayers, people that are not in the drug game. He only will pull his, put his gun on someone that he's wanting to rob because they got drugs or selling drugs. Yeah, and you could, you could almost say that his whole mission is uh, kind of noble, right? He's doing bad things, but two bad people. So it's like, do you give him a pass because of that? Yeah, you almost call him like a, a a ghetto Robin Hood, except for a little bit. He, he doesn't, doesn't give the money away. <laughs> yeah, he, he's got to rob from the evil rich, but to uh-huh. give to the poor. I mean, he he does, he does seem popular in the neighborhood, which is a plot point that I'm going to be talking about in this second episode. But uh, and he does seem like he gives candy to kids and yeah, um, he he helps out other people. But no, he's kind of in this for himself. Although I often wonder what all he does with the money because he's always living in these just mattress shacks sure because he's also one of the most wanted people yeah, in baltimore on the run all the time yeah he's in the wind as he likes to say <laughs> so let's let's get into um episode 206 all prologue um season two is about the dock workers the stevedores yeah my probably my favorite uh storyline of all of them i really like this season a lot interesting because if when people say about their least favorite season of the wire, it's almost always season two or season really? five. Why is that? I love the dock worker stuff. I was just fascinated by I th- honestly the political things that were going on in this thing with the unions. And... I, I think it's because people went through all the trouble and effort of watching season one and they're feeling smug and they're like, ah, I've got it figured out. Oh, and it's the whole like, nope, fuck you table flipped. Now forget about all those people or they're in a reduced capacity. They're in like a, you know, kind of submarine status. And now here's a whole other cast of characters that have nothing in common. Sure. These are predominantly white. They're blue collar. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're, I can't even, fully articulate the differences between Baltimore drug dealers and Baltimore dock workers, but definitely <laughs> okay. the whiteness and the blue collar, but there's still, it, it's interesting how, how they, they show the gutting of this blue collar America mm-hmm. as driving the decay and corruption of the country. Uh, and the, you know, the heroes, I say, quote unquote, the heroes of the story, the, but the police are investigating this Frank Sabatka character. Who's the leader of a dock workers union, and and the, the the setup of this is they're only doing this to satisfy a petty grudge that this high ranking police official has against the the the, the union guy. Okay. It's not that he's doing anything illegal or corrupt per se, although he is. It's this guy's pissed because he bought it. I believe it's a larger stained glass window. He do, he donated his large stained glass window <laughs> to the church and got. The priest to give him uh, the nod that this other police guy thought he's going to get. Wow. So now it's like I'm going to stick this major crimes division on him. See what you know. See see what happens. Wow. Um, and initially, it's really hard for the police to figure out what's going on because, like, man, this fucking dock workers union's poor. They only got a hundred guys now. They're down to a hundred dock workers. They're paying dues, and this guy's not living. He lives in this poor ass white neighborhood and drives a beat up car. He doesn't have a lot of. He doesn't look like. What they've been investigating so far, which is drug dealers driving around with expensive cars with nice wheels and they're dressing flashy. Yeah. Um, not any of that. But you find out what this guy's doing is he's been skimming and money and, and earning things by illegally importing stuff for, for gangsters and mobsters mm-hmm. as a way to get political donations so he can try to save this dock workers union. Yeah, it was a, a super noble goal. Yeah. Just a bad means of getting the money. He's lobbying politicians to keep the port open and to dredge it so they can get ships in so he can give his guys more shifts. Yeah. Um, but... You know, him and his family, he's got his nephew, uh, Nick, who incidentally is played by Pablo Schreiber, who is the uh, porn stash from Orange and New Black. Unrecognizable. Okay. This guy is such a serious, such a great actor, and he's such a jack, fucking buffoonish jackass and other that I didn't even <laughs> realize. Um, also, the guy who plays Frank Sabatka is played by the same guy who plays uh, um, Sheriff Andy from uh, True Blood. Who again? I didn't recognize him because he talks in this really artificial kind of gruff accent, and he's a big fucking buffoon. Mm-hmm. And I don't think of that as Frank Sabatka. These characters, uh, you know, 
it's really weird to see them acting in things that are not the wire because they are okay. the characters more than they are the actors and and most of these things for me yeah a, a lot of people in this series are basically unknowns right um so and he's got his like you know his nephew Nick who's this street you know smart street uh, street smart and tough kid uh, who he probably wishes was a son, and his real son Ziggy, who's yeah. a fucking idiot, and, and he's just trying to up. trying to make his way, right? Like he's trying to sure make enough money for like him and his girlfriend to to live in a real place, and, exactly. Uh, and yeah, his buddy is just fucking it up. And there's a lot of pathos there too, because you know you find out that Frank, you know, is a violent man. He's you know uh, poked Ziggy in the face a couple times. They've got a turbulent relationship. You know, one sure. of, a lot of the reasons Ziggy's a fuck up is because of the way he's raised. That's what you kind of yeah, but I can't forgive him. No, I you can't, can't forgive him for being no, he such a colossal. He fuck is up. an idiot. He's very easy. I mean, even in, just in this episode, burning a hundred dollar bill in front of a bunch of people who would kill to have that hundred dollar bill. But why is he doing that? Because he's a fucking idiot. Yeah, but there's a reason he's that. I mean, there's... I I agree. Yes, but. Um, I can still hate him for it. So I picked this particular episode to show off Omar because it's one of his signature moments. It's probably one of the top five moments. Um, so this past season, he's been waging a war against Avon Barksdale's crew for a plot point, which I won't reveal because I'm trying not to spoil or anything. But it's his deeply personal vendetta. And he's got – he wants to take down all of his lieutenants okay. that were involved in a particular murder that he is connected with. And uh, this one guy, Bird – is one of the lieutenants in the uh, Barksdale organization, and Omar's agreed to testify against him for the murder of a state's witness in season one. Mm-hmm. Thing is, Bird did not kill this guy. Yeah. He's just going to get on the stand and fucking lie and perjure himself. He does it well. And it's brilliant because the episode opens, and he's in this ridiculous uh, varsity jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, He's dressed like he just walked in from the street. And he's waiting in the the whatever the room that they have the witnesses wait in, and he's helping this. You know, he shows some of this intelligence because he's helping one of the bailiffs with the crossword puzzle. Mm-hmm. Guys, like you know, it's God of War, it's Mars, but it doesn't fit. And he's like, oh no, it's the Greek God of War, it's Ares, same dude, different name. Yeah. Uh, and then he ties a tie around his neck by just the way you'd put on a winter scarf. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just like not straight. It's just. And again, it's over his ridiculous. He's waving sport it at everybody, like, "Yeah, here's my fucking tie. You yeah. want me to wear a tie?" Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all dressed up. <laughs> uh, and he's being set up by the, not set up by the attorney, the prosecutor. They're like, you know, how old are you? And he's like, ah, I'm about 29. Don't really, maybe not even know my real birthday. <laughs> uh, where do you live? Ah, I'm not homeless. I'm in the wind. Yeah. You know what do you do? I rip and run. I drop drug dealers. And the jury is actually eating this up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he figures Bird um, as the shooter of the villain, and uh, he's also just making fun of him the whole time. He's like, yeah, Bird, he likes his flashy chrome pieces, He's but he's too stupid to get rid of his murder weapon <laughs> in a daytime murder. Um, uh-huh. And then the, the, the defense attorney, uh, Levy, gets up, and he's this scummy guy. You get to know him throughout the series. He's made his business representing these drug dealers and getting them off on technicalities and he's very very good at what he does yeah uh and he tries to just tear down omar you know he's like so how many times you've been arrested well i'm you know can't... yeah he attacks his reputation yeah how many times his credibility arrested? and but but omar is just staying with him shot for shot i mean he re, he just is super honest about how he answers stuff mm-hmm and the guy's, like, listing off all of his crimes, and there's a long list, and one is, like, attempted murder. He's like, that wasn't no attempted murder. And it's like, <laughs> what? He goes, no, nah, I, sh- I shot Mike Mike in his hind parts, fixed it so he couldn't sit right. <laughs> I wasn't going to – I wasn't killing him. Yeah. Um, but at the end, this guy, after he goes through his ter- tirade of tearing down Omar, and he's kind of got the jury on his side, and he's saying, you're just a parasite that lives off the drug trade, and you're getting rich off the violence and murder in our streets. And Omar's like, hey, same as you. Guy's like, what? He's like, yeah, I got the shotgun. You got the briefcase. All in the game, though, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just a verbal crowning moment of badass because the jurors then decide this, there, and there to believe him and convict this guy. What I really love about this scene is seeing – Someone not give Omar the credit that he's deserving. They they don't believe that he could be as smart and as articulate as he is. And so when he whips that out, it blows their hair back. 
No, right. And that's what I love seeing. The the fuck you. I'm just as good as you are. Or you're just you as bad judge as me. me. <laughs> I'm I'm just as smart yeah, and just yeah, yeah. as capable as you are. Sure. You just don't give me the credit for it. Right. Uh, so then after that, um, you know, the judge is hearing pre-sentencing formality, and he's just beating Levy up about the head and shoulders. And uh, as as Bird's walking away, uh, Bird's wa- or uh, Omar's waving his tie at him. He's like, <laughs> yeah, you think I'm Brandon, the, the guy he killed, why are you serving that time? Uh-huh. And McNulty comes up because he's the head detective. He's the arguable hero of the show, though he's a piece of work. Mm, yeah, no kidding. He's like, did you really see him uh, see him shoot that man? And Omar's like, you really asking? <laughs> Which, that's another theme of The Wire. It's like the cops are just as crooked and dirty, although ostensibly we're supporting what they're doing, as what the criminals are. Yeah, sure. And one of the open questions it has is, can you get justice from a crooked system where the game is stacked Every which way, you know, you've got people being corrupt on the side of angels, people being corrupt on the side of the demons. Mm-hmm. How in the world can you – is this a way to run a, a civilization? Um, there's also, again, super interesting stuff with Nikki um, trying to get his, his cousin I- Ziggy out of a jam. Uh, and he goes and negotiates with these different gangsters and gets him out of it. And like you said, Iggy, you know, uh, he, he gets him money. He's supposed to pay like – Five thousand dollars. He ends up getting him twenty one hundred. And what's Iggy do? He starts lighting hundred dollar bills at the bar, dumbass, and buying people's rounds. Um, there's a scene with McNulty where he's trying to get back with his ex wife because one of the things in season two is he's been busted down to boat duty. He's mm-hmm. like one of those police guys are you know goes around in the glorified fishing boat and checks for. Sure, I I wouldn't mind doing that. I think that that would, like that's what we were saying. It's like that would be an awesome job. But McNulty's this <laughs> driven, yeah. like demonically driven murder police. He got mm. to solve crimes, and so this is like an existential crisis for him. Sure. But he's using it um, to get back with his ex-wife because his ex-wife is tired of his weird ass hours, his getting drunk, um, his philandering on him, her yep. all the time and he goes back and said look i've stopped being a murder police uh-huh lying to her that this is a punishment and also i've stopped drinking which is false he's drinking and wine at the table he's drinking not only that but he just got drunk the scene before <laughs> like blind drunk yeah. with, with bunk mm-hmm. while he's saying i'm giving all this up and i've stopped uh whoring around for like three days yeah and and he's got the nerve that um when she rejects him or not even rejects him, says, look, I, I, it's great that you're making all these changes, but I don't want you around the kids. I don't want you here at the house of the kids and give them false hope because we don't know this is going. He's like gets pissy about it. He's that kind of asshole. Like, I've been an asshole for nine years. I've, changed, I've, I've cleaned up for three days, so now you need to take me back without any reservations. And yeah. if you don't, that's an excuse to get back into the booze. Back in the booze and back in the coos. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of asshole we're working with, and he's our hero of the story. <laughs> um, but the story—I would argue that the hero of the story is someone else. But I don't want to spoil anything. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely some heartwarming. You do if you stick it through the wire, you do get some heartwarming moments, and that's—I guess—that's the other thing is Simon's trying to tell you the impossibility of change structurally in America, but how individually we can still make. You know, carve out differences, and okay. I think that's his probably. I don't think, I don't think David Simon believes we're ever going to end the war on drugs, and I don't hmm. think we're going to ever. I sometimes wonder if we'll ever end the war on drugs, including. Not, I mean, I feel like this country could legalize weed. How how far out are we from this show? Uh, how many years? I believe I don't know. I, when did it end? That's a good question. I want to say two thousand like ten years. Now? I want to say two thousand nine. Oh, okay. It's not that far out. No, that's surprising because I I think we are heading toward the legalization of weed. I don't know about the end of the war on drugs as a whole. Right. But I feel like those are dominoes that are starting to be knocked over. Yeah, season five aired in two thousand eight. So, yeah. like I said, I, I could see us legalizing weed, but I just don't see a country where we're going to legalize cocaine and heroin and meth, and that's the shit that's doing this to the cities. It's not marijuana. Sure, but but you look at, like, ah, fuck, I don't want to get too into it here because we're not really talking about The Wire. We're more talking about, like, Omar and these episodes. 
Yeah, no, and I, so the plot lines that didn't make the cut is Kima, who is the uh, lesbian police officer hunting down hookers to investigate the death of Russian sex workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trouble that her police work just she's like the mirror image of McNulty because she has problems with her girlfriend, yeah. her her partner, and the police work and the late hours. Uh, life inside the prison for um, uh, the Barksdale people that have now that landed in prison after season one. Again, trying to step. Um, Trying to keep from stepping on spoilers. Uh, BD and Bunk um, doing this investigation of the dock workers and the cans and how they're disappearing off the boats. The politics of bodies and how, like, that's the, that's the thing. Like, you know, this police, uh, the one that the Lieutenant Daniels has offered an, an, an opportunity to roll his investigation in with another one, which would make sense and would be the right thing from a police standpoint, but he doesn't do it because this case has 11 bodies. Attached, attached to it. And he's like, uh, I don't yeah, want yeah. that stinking up my record. I'm trying to shine here. I get 11 unsolved murders, and that could fuck up what I'm trying to do politically. Yeah. Uh, and Bunk's epic ha- hangover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an awesome scene. Moving on to season three, episode six, Homecoming. This season returns us to the streets of Baltimore. We get away from the dock workers. We're back to seeing what's going on with uh, the Barksdale organization. But also introduces us... And takes us behind the doors and walls and corridors of power, introduces us to the political system uh, and the problems that a city like Baltimore has. Um, we get introduced to characters like Aidan Gillian's uh, ambitious and idealistic councilman Tommy Carsetti. You'll you'll recognize if you're yeah. Baltimore fan. Uh, Aiden is also uh, Littlefinger from yep. Game of Thrones. Yeah, and it's interesting to compare and contrast these two characters. Um, yeah, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> okay. And also, we get to know a little better Senator Clay Davis, uh, who's the fast-talking, deal-making, corrupt senator, best known for his trademark use of the phrase, shit. <laughs> There's a really funny supercut of him saying that on YouTube. If you search yeah. Clay Davis shit, you'll mm-hmm. find it. Number one result. And it's also the the larger theme of this episode, or this season, are, you know, people try to make sweeping systemic changes in the way they fight the war on drugs mm-hmm. and for the criminal's sake, the way they sell drugs as a goal to reduce the crime, reduce the violence, reduce the impact to the citizens slash taxpayers slash civilians yep. and how they are constantly thwarted by the existing establishment, just wanting to do things the way they've always done. Sure. And it's not like these are crazy ideas that aren't working. They're actually yeah, fucking guess working. What? They work. <laughs> they work. Absolutely, they work. Uh-huh. But they're all torn down in the end by people wanting to do things the same old way. And it's 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 tragic and it's super compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to leave Omar's um, thread at the end because it's one of the minor plot lines, and I I really want to talk about some of this, some of these other uh, points like the showdown between not the showdown, but the 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 tension between Stringer Bell, who oh, is yeah. the right-hand man of Avon Barksdale, who is the head of this drug empire. Mm-hmm. Stringer Bell is a is a reformer. He wants to stop fighting for corners. Yeah, you can see he's building some buildings somewhere, trying to get the contractors to do what he wants. And he's, he's trying to take his money. that he's They've earned so much money illegitimately. He's trying to focus, uh, funnel this into real estate. And construction projects along the the harbor and the ports of Baltimore, which incidentally ties into season two because his project, his high rise condo project, is strangling the lifeblood of the dock workers because they're wanting to shut down this granary port and build high rise condos for rich people on it. Hmm, so that's okay. like again, you find out in season three, this part part of the people's been choking the life out of these stevedores are the same drug dealers we met in season one. Um, so anyway. He's wanting to reform. He's wanting to uh, make deals with the other drug dealers, carve out territories, secure higher profits with superior product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his 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 uh, you know uh, I, I wouldn't say his boss. He's definitely the one that runs. But they're almost like brothers. Avon is is just a gangster. Avon's he the one wants calling his corners, the shots for sure. He's the one that he wants his corners. And yeah. a- and Stringer's like, look, man, you pay for these. He's like, I don't want to pay for my corners. We just take them. He's like, you pay for the corners no matter what. Yeah, you're paying in bodies. You're paying in jail time. You're paying in dollars. 
Whatever it is, you're paying for it. Right. And he's like, we're so close. We can. He's like, we don't have to just run corners, man. We can run this fucking city. Yeah. We can actually pry open the doors and power. We can. We can run this like Baron Kings. And this other guy's just so caught up in his reputation on the street. Yeah. And yeah. then it peels back this other layer, so you see this up-and-comer gangster, Marlo, and how he's acting in, against his own best interests because of the same reason. He wants that it's – and he even goes into it knowing that, like, if you wear the crown of Baltimore, there's two ways out, graveyard and prison. <laughs> and he knows that, and he's like, yeah, but it's important to wear the crown. It's my time to wear the crown. Mm. That is a crazy nihilistic way to live your life. And it also doesn't even make business sense. No, it's short-sighted for sure. Um, I, and I, but going back to saying, who would I say is the the hero of the show, the good guy? I think it's Stringer Bell. Honestly, really, I think yeah. I, going, after... I thought you I thought you're going for Bubbles. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Although he's a good guy. But uh, I'd say yeah, Bubbles, Bunny, the, Lester, the, the guy who. I, I don't think this spoils too much. The guy who gets into teaching mm-hmm. is also a fucking hero. Presbo, sure. Uh, but Stringer Bell is trying to get out of the game here. Mm-hmm. He's and, trying to change the, the game. they're just pulling him back in. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He's trying to legitimize what they're doing and just become a businessman. And and you can tell that Avon is so against being a businessman. It's all they the like, word like the, being a the way he man. says it's like it's dog yeah. shit in his mouth. Yeah. He's, yeah, I'm just I'm just a gangster. I want my corners. Yeah. Uh and there's a great uh plot involving this is that um you know Avon's down on muscle. What little muscle he has is um he's got Slim Charles which is a badass. He's got Cuddy who is played by Chad Coleman, my adoptive father. Chad did not adopt me. He, I've actually adopted him. He doesn't know it yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I think he's awesome. Uh, he's got him who's Recognize him from The Walking Dead, Tyrese. Tyrese from The Walking Dead. And the thing about Cuddy is that he came... He's He was an old-school badass that went to prison for like 15 years. So he's come back. He's in his mid to late 30s. He's still got all the intellect. Like, he lays out this this hit on this gang that would have just, like, completely regulated this whole corner. Mm-hmm. But he's got a bunch of knuckleheads. They're like, why do we got to come in this way? He's like, well, yeah. because uh, your driver <laughs> is going to be on that side of the street, and he's going to be exposed to fire. And if he gets shot, you're going to wreck. Then what are you going to do? Also, you're going to be shooting across <laughs> your driver with a shotgun. Really bad idea, you dumb. And, and guess what happens? That's because these fuckers, Ugh. they're like, and, and they're kind of like microcosms of the further idiocy of everybody because they're like, we don't want to, they're supposed to wait for Cuddy and Slim Charles to get in position to start the ambush. Mm. And like, when they just want to take all the bodies and get all the glory and we're going to look like pussies to Avon. So they decide to just roll up on their own. It it you literally know, goes like like my dad predicted. The guy gets shot in the head. He drives <laughs> into the car. The other gangsters walk and just ventilate them ex- all. Exactly how they said. Although I think that the knuckleheads have a point. Oh, with Avon, I think the bravado and the the, the whatever you want to call it of them You're rushing right. in there and killing those guys because they found a fucking opportunity that would have gone over well with Avon. You're right. And in just underscore your point. It's, it's unfortunate that the guy at the top is perpetuating that yeah. just the not not thinking about what you're doing. Yeah. And there's some um, season two where Stringer is trying to move the organization to more business like and he's even, you know, <laughs> doing like boardroom rules of order and yeah, yeah. and like, you know, the board has to do this. He has to the, the chairman has to recognize the speaker. There's just some hilarious scenes of him trying to teach these gangsters. Yeah, um, but oh god, it. I so much <laughs> funny stuff. Um anyway, you're right. Um I don't forget the point I was going to make about this. Mm. Um but there's a really great character moment with Cuddy in here where um I I kind of don't even want to spoil it. Okay, we don't have to. Yeah. So, and one of the reasons why I think he's one of my favorite characters in The Wire, one of my favorite er- actors in The Wire. Yeah, he is. He's good. Uh, and then brings us to the Omar plot, where he's continuing his war against the Barksdale organization. And he the, pl- the plot this far in the season is he continues to rob 
the Barksdale stash houses and corners, despite how much more exponentially dangerous it's getting. I mean, you keep hitting the same guy. These people aren't idiots. They are changing their tactics. It's making more and more dangerous. One of his raids, he gets one of his uh, accomplices, Tasha, killed. Uh, she gets shot in the head. And Bunk, uh, one of our favorite detectives, uh, our chubby, uh, hard-drinking, pussy-hound Bunk, catches the body, and he's frustrated by a total lack of cooperation he get, he's getting from everyone in the neighborhood. This is a daytime raid. Lots of people saw this guy getting sh- uh, this this person getting shot. Nobody's talking because nobody trusts the police. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bunk calls a meeting with Omar, and they have a showdown. And you know, Omar's like, "What? You know, nobody's going to talk. You don't even have a victim. This isn't a taxpayer. This is just and and Bunk just goes off on him. Yeah, he's like, this town used to be something. Yeah, like something even, better. Yeah, even the gangsters looked at like I was a schoolboy, and I would try to get with the gangsters, and the gangsters like, "Go home. This ain't for you." Yeah, and he we was, were a community. He was wounded, but he didn't see that what the gangsters were trying to do is look out after him and wanted him to do better. And he's like, every you know, we might it might have been rough, but we had a community, mm-hmm. and there was nobody that was not a victim. Like we all cared about everybody. And he's got this line. He goes, "It makes me sick, motherfucker, how far we fall." And then the real knife in Omar's gut is he says, "You know, at the crime scene, I saw boys running around playing." gangster and they were saying they were calling your name by you're they're calling you by name so it's my turn to be omar i want to be omar which makes you know a guy a classy guy with a code of honor who tries to protect civilians seeing how bad he's fucking up his own community Mm -hmm. i can't spoil to see what the the climax of this and the climax of his whole arc is but this was probably one of the lowest points in Omar, where he is not the guy who gets to make the the the, the death point or the slick witticism or shine yeah. someone on, Bunk just levels him. Sure, definitely. Uh, plot lines that didn't make the cut. Um, Dan, Lieutenant Daniel's got this really interesting interpersonal relationship where he's got this politically ambitious wife that he feels guilty for some indiscretions in his early in his career that, that sabotaged him politically. And they kind of got married as a political alliance. Very, it'd be kind of like Frank Underwood Mm. and Claire, except for Frank didn't carry his weight. So now she's trying to be politically ambitious, but he's also fell in love with one of the attorney, the prosecutors and they have this down low and he's like, I can't leave my wife publicly because there's that thing going on. Um, Yeah. I don't remember this storyline very well. Right. Um, It was one of the, the, Kind of ancillary plot points. There's uh, Bunny Colvin, one of the police captains, is trying to his his revolutionary idea of civilizing Baltimore is to take all the drug tr- trade and squeeze it into one block. It's interesting, and, and not and not bust it up. Right, like, just get these guys over there. You can keep dealing drugs. Yeah. Just do it. People in want here. the drugs. Can buy the drugs. People want to sell the drugs and buy. I don't want anybody dying. I yeah. don't want anybody assaulting. Just keep it here, and I'll turn. I'll, 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 I'll turn the other way. Mm-hmm. But there's a little old lady that still lives on that block, and she's just be absolutely terrorized. <laughs> what does he do about that? Yeah, uh, Stringer Bell's frustration at the incompetence and corruption of clean America. Sure, like these guys, these contractors the and lawyers and architects and people in the permit department are just robbing him blind. They are, and I wonder if it's. I, I got the vibe when watching this um, the first time I saw it that they're kind of pushing him around a little bit because he's so new to this. They're taking a no, I do believe absolutely they're taking advantage of him. Okay. Okay. And even uh, cuz cuz um um Avon shows up to one of the meetings and he's like, "Well, you guys yeah. fucked up, so by street <laughs> rules, you guys need to make it it's not up it's not my partner's job to pay out of his pocket to make up for your fuck up." And they're like, "No. That's not how this thing works. This yeah. is the way you do business." And it's kind of crazy showing how even in like legit legal America, how much bribery and corruption and bullshit goes on. Sure. Um, there's the whole Marlowe side of the gang wars you're starting to learn. Um, there's Bubbles selling his whiteies and revealing how little the police have any idea what the hell's going on in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. Great scene between D'Angelo's mom and D'Angelo's baby mama. Um, there's just this blistering interrogation of the police commissioner by the corrupt mayor about the body count. 
They're talking about, you know, you promised to keep it for 260 for the year or 275 for the year. That's a huge improvement. And we're already up to 260. Yeah. It's not even October. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. That's like one a day. That's more than one a day. Yep. And uh, wow. McNulty being a dick and backdooring his lieutenant to get his way, which is like every other episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much shit is going on in the average episode of The Wire. Um, but that's why it's so great, and that's why it's relent. I, I call it relentlessly watchable. Like eh, no, I'd, I'd call Breaking Bad relentlessly really? watchable. I think this is even this when you don't know what's going on. Interesting. There, well, uh, okay, I, I guess it's, I feel like they're one and the same. I feel like that even if you don't know what's going on, everything is very interesting. Yeah, but I'm not always like super entertained watching it. Uh, I respect what it's doing more than I am just like. Oh man, that was great! And like, I so for you, really... watchability and entertainment is goes hand in hand. They're very, yeah, they're almost the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think entertainment is is wrapped up in pacing and comedy and acting and drama and like all of those things coming together. Whereas this feels like more solidly plotted. It feels more methodical. Um, Almost like it was built in a laboratory. Mm. Uh, it was. It's called. It's the <laughs> David Simon. It's, it's called Baltimore. <laughs> well, well, shit. Yeah, uh, but but it's not consistently just like entertaining. Like it mm. doesn't. It doesn't make me necessarily want to continue to watch it. I have to like stop and go. Okay, did I just see what I saw? Uh, what does that mean for all the other plot points? It's like. See, I had I had the exact opposite experience. Once I got to episode six or so, and I thought it was just wonderfully entertaining before then, I couldn't stop watching it. I huh, okay. binged the shit out of this, like three and four episodes, sometimes five on the weekends more every night until I finished it, and then wanted to grab whoever I, I knew that didn't watch it, like this motherfucker <laughs> like who's my roommate, and like, you got to watch this. Yeah, yeah. And, like, friends and family, you know how evangelical I've been about this show. For sure. Um, for fair, many reasons. But th- – and that's, like, I guess one of the core differences is that I experience like, – I, I, like, I, I can describe some fairly dry documentaries as relentlessly watchable, too, because I feel like the pleasure I get at being informed okay. or – um, solving a puzzle is almost as good as watching Walt throw fulminated mercury and blow up a place and break it bad. Okay. Like I get right. almost the same, uh, mental sense of satisfaction. So, okay. Yeah. I can respect that. Sure. But anyway, once again, Andrew, uh, Really hope that uh, we gave you a little bit of what you're wanting. Hope we whet everyone's appetite for the Wirecast. Uh, I want to talk about my plans for the Wirecast and why it's taking so long. I don't want the Wirecast to be just a bald move regular production where we do a full recap and do feedback, although that will be part of it. One of the things I want to do to make it special is I want to get um, guests. Like I would like to get – Jason Whitlock on the show to talk about his personal connection. I'd like to get Bill Simmons. I'd like to get Alan Seppenwall. I would like to get, I would love to get David Simon, although I don't feel like I will. <laughs> I'd love to get a lot of the actors. And through the Walker Stalker Con, I was able to last year uh, meet Chad Coleman. I was able to meet uh, Larry, Gilli- Larry Gilliard Jr., Lawrence Gilliard Jr., uh, uh, the guy who plays uh, Carver, who's Seth Gilliam, has been cast for The Walking Dead. I'm really going to try to go back this year and see if I can get them to agree on the podcast or the wire. Cause I'd introduced myself as fans of their work on the wire. Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of disarmed them cause like they're there for walking dead fans, a geek at, and this guy is just like going full bore the wire. Yeah. And I, I wanted to keep it like, it's not going to be like, they're going to be my co-host, but five or 10 minutes for a particular episode in a particular season where they maybe are spotlighted or they had a really good moment. And I like to do that for all these people. And it just takes a long time to build those connections. Sure. I also wanted the the uh, hooks on the show is I want to have a fact, a, a new and different fact about the prison industrial complex or the war on drugs and its cost in America for every single episode. And, um, you know, there are 50 episodes to do that for. I'm reading sure. a lot of books right now. I'm doing a lot of research so I can have that material. This is this is why it's taken – why I say don't look for this any any sooner than like early 2015. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just taking a lot of time to do the groundwork. 
Maybe you could do some stuff on like unions and and organized labor and stuff like that. Well, yeah, for season, season two. two, sure. Season three, you can go with a little lot more of the drug war stuff. Yeah, right. And I have some. I don't know how crazy I'm going to get because I have some buddies in uniform, and mm-hmm. I'd like to like get some of their stories. I don't know if they'll actually go on mic and do that. Um, I actually know a few criminals. It would be interesting <laughs> to see if they would, in some way, share some stories about like this hmm. stuff. Um, so you'll, I, have to, I, you'll have to change their voices. You'll have to get one of those modulators. Totally yeah. make it sound like it's uh, Optimus Prime or something. <laughs> I so I I want to do it right, and I want it to be special. I, I mean, it'd be the easiest thing in the world to just do a, to wire the rewatch. There's sure. a couple of those out there in pod, podcast form, but I kind of want this to be the best, and us all also to be definitive. And it's done. Yeah. Like, I've done it the best I can do. I put everything into it, and that's why it's taken a little bit of time to bake. Sure. But uh, thank you for to Andrew for um, commissioning this custom podcast and for working with us on the format so we could do it in a way that me and Jim are happy with and hopefully a way that you're happy with. If you'd like to find out how you can sponsor some custom content, go to subbable.com slash baldmove. Check out our pitch and reward levels, and uh, we appreciate everyone who's done that so far. And for all your all support... Absolutely, yeah. And we will see you on the next Commission podcast or on our various other endeavors. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you then. See you later.